0: to the payroll podcast with your host nick day of jga recruitment specialist payroll
1: recruiters hello and welcome to the payroll podcast i am nick day from james gray associates specialist payroll and hr recruiters joined by sean wilde ceo of think learning think is a learning and performance technology company specializing in the implementation of systems into compliance driven organizations Now I'm really excited to be here with Sean today because I first met Sean at an OCR, that's Obstacle Course Racing event, known as Spartan Race in 2015. There may be some of you listeners out there that have undertaken a a Tough Mudder or a Spartan type event. It was a muddy race. Post-race, we then connected on LinkedIn. Sean is a fantastic athlete, I have to say, and since then we have become really good friends. We've travelled together and competed in three OCR World Championship events, which were held in the USA and Canada. And last year, we actually travelled together to Italy, to the Dolomites, where we completed an ultra-marathon. We've been really good friends ever since. So I mention this because it does show a little bit to his character. He's really determined, very competitive, and I have no doubt that it is these attributes that have helped Sean to become so successful in his career. Sean also has an MBA from Manchester Business School. He has the chartered status within the CIPD and is a qualified FE teacher, trainer and coach. Now in taking up the role of CEO, Sean is responsible for the scale-up of Think Associates to the rebranded name of Think Learning with a vision to empower organizations to create safer and better places to work through the implementation of learning management systems, also known as LMS, e-learning, and performance solutions powered by the Totara platform. Sean spent his early career in the armed forces, specializing in telecommunications, where he gained the senior rank of staff sergeant and went on to develop a career outside of the forces then in HR. he switched careers by starting to work as Learning and Development Manager for the NHS in 2003 and then joined THiNK in 2005. He now boasts over 15 years experience in working with learning and performance technologies and was recently promoted to CEO of THiNK Learning. Apart from leading the company, Sean has direct responsibility for HR, operations, and ensuring the company meets all external standards, such as the dreaded GDPR, or General Data Protection Regulations, GCloud, ISO 27001, and Cyber Essentials. Quite a profile indeed, I think you'll all agree. So I'm really, really excited to welcome Sean. Hi there, Nick. You'll know that we always start with five technical questions, find out a little bit more about Sean, a little bit more about the business as well. So let's kick off. Five technical questions. Tell me a little bit, Sean, about your journey from leaving the Armed Forces, where you rose to the rank of Staff Sergeant, to becoming CEO of Think Learning. It was two careers, really. I mean, when I joined the forces, I was trained in
0: telecommunications, and I did that for 16 years, up to the rank of staff sergeant. I then left and went into standard telecommunications, working with various companies like Motorola and Nokia. I did that for a few years, and then eventually shifted over into training. I was a qualified teacher, a vocational assessor. So I had had a bit of a background from the forces as well around training. So then joined the NHS as a head of training for a hospital And then eventually bumped into the guys at Think and moved over in 2005, where I've developed my career through Think Associates and then into Think Learning.
1: What a natural progression then, moving from an L&D role within NHS to a training role within Think Learning.
0: Yeah, they had a, a big technology requirement. And because I had a technical background in telecoms, it was easy for me to pick up on that. I learnt on the job through the implementation of systems and grew from there, really.
1: That kind of ties in well to my next question, really. So Think Learning Systems, for those that aren't familiar, that they're designed to solve the challenges of targeting and tracking training, uh, meeting HR governance requirements and helping organisations to really engage their staff. So if I was a client who approached Think with the aim of improving my HR processes, what is the process you would follow to achieve it?
0: But we often say we're a translation service because on one hand, we're dealing with technology. On the other hand, we're dealing with complex training tracking requirements, as you say. So that's the key thing. It's really breaking down what the requirement is for the organization, particularly around compliance with organizations of three, four, 5,000 people with different skill sets, breaking that down, making sure we all understand what we need to do with the technology and then building the solution around it.
1: As you mentioned, sometimes it's breaking down what it is that they need. And I know that recently you assisted a client, I think a London client, who thought they wanted some new learning management software. But actually, after analysis, you said that you realised it was actually the administrative and, and reporting processes that needed improving, as it was these aspects that were actually preventing them from making the most out of their existing LMS software. So with that in mind, how much of your time is spent assisting clients with soft systems, if you like, as well as technological ones? It's always
0: a combination of both sides, actually. you On one hand, if the organisation doesn't really understand the technology that's available, you've got to get their heads around it. And also, as I said before, you've got to break down that requirement. And once you both understand what that requirement is, you can think about how you need to shift them from what they're doing at the moment through to employing a system, which might need some organisational development or change management requirements within the organisation. But it's a case of stepping them through that process once they've got the technology, they also need to learn how to use it
1: before they can roll it out within the organisation. Fantastic. And I know that you've advised clients on the implementation of of multiple solutions. So can you provide us and the listeners with some examples of the solutions you've offered?
0: A few years back, probably about three or four years back, we were working with NHS London when they were a strategic health authority, and they wanted to have a senior leadership programme through technology. So we worked with them in taking their leadership framework, placing that within technology and into a portal so their managers and the people that provided feedback, et cetera, could then input that data to then analyze that with them and look at where they sat within a performance and potential matrix.
1: Okay, great. So presumably every new project is going to be very different from the last. I know you work with a big range of clients. How do you go about managing and matching your engagement and implementation style to that of the customer?
0: One thing we have picked up with many clients is actually project methodology tends to be very, very similar. So when you formulate a project, they get their head around that quite quickly. It's really speaking to those people within the project and making sure they know their responsibilities when they need to do something for a particular timeline. They often say at the beginning of a project, can we do this in two months or three months? We then say you can, but you need to do what you need to do at the point in time that it's required. And often those things slip for natural reasons in that the data might be dirty, needs to be cleaned up. Certain people within the organization are not engaged. So we tend to go with what we normally do and say three to four months to implement. Real world stuff happens within organizations. And also people within those projects are busy on other things too. We accept that, but we keep them on track. We have a set of milestones that we've grown to understand over the years. And we step them through those milestones if there are delays we understand those delays but we still track the milestones through to a full implementation
1: so what would be the typical milestones then that you might cover what would be an example of some milestones you would set
0: if i take the beginning and the end as two examples we always start off with a very detailed kickoff workshop making sure that everyone in the project know what they need to bring to the table in terms of actions throughout the project near the end of the project you need to have user acceptance testing and training So once you've built their requirement and you've formulated all of that within the system and everything's set up, they need to be trained on how to use it. They need to be happy with what they've got before we move to what we call business as usual. We then carry on supporting them. Things sometimes change after that, and that's fine because we have a support contract in place where we can shift and move things as things do change within organisations on an ongoing basis.
1: You mentioned there's different project methodologies that you're familiar with. I know that you're personally Prince2 qualified. And what other project methodologies do you deliver or do the clients need access to?
0: Internally, the development team would use scrum in terms of getting developments in place. We use a little bit of agile methodology in the way that we run the project from our side, but obviously you can't tell the organization to run their side of the project in a particular way. It's quite often Prince2 orientated or Prince2 light, you might call it. We can go with that flow because many of our implementation consultants are Prince2 qualified. But often a project of this size doesn't need that level of detail. And moving to an agile approach with a set of milestones and you burn down through those milestones makes it quite agile.
1: As a client, what's a typical project they would come to think learning for? What's the kind of a standard, whether you really come to your own or, or specialise in, in terms of project delivery?
0: One of the core things that we deliver on a regular basis is the implementation of a learning management system. Of around 60 70% of the functionality that we can deliver centres on learning management systems. So that's where organisation needs to pin down who has done what and when and run reports around that. Often around compliance, so things like health and safety, fire safety, safeguarding children, safeguarding adults, all need to be pinned down against different staff groups within the organisation. Going wider than that other the popular areas that we implement is performance appraisal. And as I mentioned before, we can link that into leadership programmes if we're looking at performance and potential. Another example would be with the NHS, we've done nursery validation, pinning down that, that's more of an e-portfolio-based approach based on a three-year cycle of the nurse needing to revalidate their credentials and qualifications and experience, applies to the midwives as well. So there's things like that that come our way, really around HR processes we can build into the software. So what kind of processes would they be? Onboarding is an example. Associated with training would be things like signing off for external training courses, budgetary approval induction
1: probation assessment there's a whole host of things that think learning can do which is great so we're going to find out a little bit more about sean
0: time to find out more about you
1: how would your friends describe you and how would your work colleagues describe you
0: Well, being the ex-soldier, I joined when I was 16. I left when I was 32. I was a staff sergeant, soon to be a a sergeant major, actually. I was only a couple of years away from that promotion. So I'm a bit of a sergeant major, actually, at home and (laughs) at work. I'm very into my HR and operations from a work perspective. If you ask my children, I patrol the line and I am the (laughs) the home base sergeant major.
1: We've done a, a few races together and I know they definitely need Sean to organise or be the organiser when we go away and do some of these mad races because uh, I'm the complete opposite. Probably drive you up the wall with some of these things. Tell me something about you that perhaps other people won't know about you.
0: Well, I'm not sure sure I should really say this, but I will. I'll, I'll go public with it. But I was a choir boy. Choir boy? Yes. When I was at school, it was a church school. I joined the choir. I won't ask you to sing. I can't sing.
1: I thought what you may have mentioned is something I know about you that maybe people don't is that you also kayaked to a very high level. Us a little bit more about your experience in kayaking yeah in my younger days
0: in the forces i was in the army team i was the junior army canoe slalom champion i took it up again actually in my early 40s i needed a sport i think it was 2008 or 2009 i can't remember the date but i was the british veterans champion fantastic but i, I soon after realized that it was very much a fitness sport for younger people so i switched to running
1: pretty impressive nonetheless You are abducted by aliens who want to learn more about our species. What item do you take with you?
0: has to be my training shoes. Training shoes. I take them everywhere. So if there's a a good excuse for a run, I will will always take it.
1: Full agreement with you there, Sean. What game or instrument do you teach them?
0: I think what I would do is I'd teach them one of the skills in obstacle racing, and that's how to tap
1: a rig going across the rings, etc., so for those not familiar, we in obstacle racing, you have monkey bars and rigs and rings and various implements that you have to hold to get across one side to the other. So what do you tell them about humans? I would
0: just explain that they're all a bit bonkers, really. I'll go back to obstacle course racing again. You get thousands and thousands of people all around the world who will spend a lot of money to run around a money course for many hours and keep coming back week after week after week. If any alien looked at (laughs) that, they would wonder why they'd even want to be on this planet, because it's just all a bit bonkers. Fair enough. I think that's a good answer. What truth or human traits do you hold back? I think this sort of links to the previous one, actually, but it's the human trait around the need to go shopping every weekend and buy things that you've already got or you don't really need. I think they also, would, if they looked at that, would think we're bonkers
1: for doing that. Our need for retail therapy. Yes.
0: Five technical
1: questions. So, Sean, you have the responsibility at the moment for leading the scale up of Think Associates to its new business name of Think Learning. What was the thought process behind the change and what are the aims going forward?
0: So, since we started, or since Tim Newham, the founder, started Think Associates back in 2004, I joined the year after we have been running the company a little bit like a family business. We got to a certain size that we never moved away from. So it was always ticking over nicely and doing well. So we just decided to change things. The brand was getting old. We needed a new brand. We wanted to be more focused around what we did as a company, focused on learning and performance systems, hence the new name. But it was really putting structure in place for us to scale up quite quickly through each year with a focus into individual teams within the organisation so they can scale. So, for example, we have a commercial team, we have an implementation team, we have a client services team, a technical development team. So these teams are there to build up and improve the way that we acquire new clients and build out the organisations and not to think like a family business.
1: But presumably still keeping that family approach or that customer support ethos that comes with being a family business, something that can be lost when you scale up too big. Absolutely. And one of the main teams
0: being the client services team, this is the team that stays with the client through the year post-implementation. As the client matures, we can mature with them and help them grow in how they use the systems and maybe add extra functionality to help them move forward. I've listened to your previous podcast around GDPR, so our systems have had to grow with that too, in that those people that need to use GDPR on on a learning system, I've got that in place.
1: Sure. So the listeners now know that Think Learning is essentially a business that tries to empower organisations to create safer and, and better places to work through the implementation of uh, LMS or, or learning management systems. Now, I know that you work with the Totara platform. Um, I believe you're a Platinum Totara partner. Can you explain what benefits this uh, partnership, this Platinum partnership offers, and also what other services you offer that perhaps the listeners won't be aware of?
0: Yeah, Platinum partner status gives us a certain preferential status within the whole operation, which is global. Totara operate right across the world in different countries, in different sectors, but being a Totara Platinum Partner allows us to have some influence on the functionality so we can influence those developments to make sure that the functionality is fit for purpose, particularly in our target markets. But also that functionality tends to apply right across the board. There's been some great features that we've helped with. I spoke earlier around performance appraisal. Getting that pinned down can be quite difficult for some organisations and there's things in the back end and the database that you need to do to make sure that works effectively. So what kind of features would they be? Sometimes it can be visual. So the user interface is really important. If you've got some competences that you can cascade those out, so you can press a button and you can drill down into the detail of those competences rather than showing them all on one page. Might seem quite straightforward. The core system didn't have that originally, and we built that in just so it's easier from an experiential point of view when the user's trying to work out what they need to do next.
1: So what other services do you offer then that perhaps other people won't be aware of?
0: The best way of describing that really is to think about our new strap line, which is engage, learn, and perform. Stereotypically LMS providers focus on learning management, which sits in the middle of engage, learn, and perform. But as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we've got ways of building workflow around engagement processes like onboarding and induction. On the perform side, we can build out processes around performance appraisal, reward strategies. We link into payroll systems, for example. We can also link into recruitment systems. So we use APIs to do that. We can widen the original functionality that you would normally see on a stereotypical LMS to be a much wider talent platform and therefore hit the buttons in organizations that normally wouldn't be hit.
1: And some of those subjects tie in really well with hot HR topics at the moment, particularly around performance management. And you mentioned reward there as well, which yep. is coming more and more into play under either a payroll remit as its own function as a reward or under an HR manager's responsibility as well. Um, you touched a little bit on some of the technologies. You mentioned API there, which is the ability for other programs to link in and to integrate easier, if I understand it correctly. To give it its proper title, its
0: application program and interface, but it allows you to link systems together very much in the back end, seamlessly. For example, if you were looking at integration into payroll, you could pull in the staff data with all of the data that you require within the learning management system, the organisational structure, the occupational structure within the organisation, which might help in your succession planning around the reports, etc. There's various ways of pulling in data, pushing out data,
1: Great. I know that for those who may or may not have read it, but I recently wrote an article on SaaS, uh, also known as software as a service, and I understand that Totara is a cloud hosted solution. So presumably, if my understanding is correct, this means that by implementing it, there will be little or no pressure on resources to IT teams if an HR function decided to, to bring it into their functions. Is that correct? Or can you explain to listeners what SaaS or cloud hosted means if I'm not 100% on the money? You've got three options of implementation. One is SaaS, Software as
0: a Service, and to be on the same server in a multi-tenant way. So organizations share the resources. Okay. Um, and actually, Totra do offer that as a separate solution, and we can provision that as a, what is called a SaaS solution. Cloud hosted means they have a partition on a server that's specifically for that particular client, and we can configure the software particularly for the client. Sure, so it's bespoke. You can also have on-premise, and we actually do that as well, for a few clients where they want to host themselves, we go in and install the software on their own servers. So there's three options, really. Multi-tenancy, cloud-hosted where we host, or the organization themselves would host it.
1: Okay, excellent. So if I'm a client then that has decided to progress with the implementation of a Think Learning solution, be it Tatara or something else, as a client, it's imperative that I can manage my costs and timescales effectively. Um, Could you guide me through the steps you would follow to achieve and deliver the functionality I need whilst also maintaining my project goals and deadlines?
0: So in any one engagement with a client, we go through a pre-sales process. This is where we gather the requirements and be very clear on on what that implementation would be. So we actually know upfront exactly what we need to do. Our first milestone, as I mentioned before, is the kickoff where we make sure everyone's expectations are set around 10 key milestones through to the testing stage, and then moving to business as usual, where we then hand it to the client services team. So really, it's a case of being very clear up front as part of that pre-sales process, working out what the requirement is, making sure both parties understand exactly what will be built with the solution, moving them through the stages and getting it into business as usual, and then in support with the client services team.
1: Fantastic. Now, Funnily enough, we had a conversation probably only 24, 48 hours ago, Sean, about a, another client who doesn't currently have any LMS solution in place at all. I guess very old school, and very manual in the way that they do things from learning management perspective. If I was a client listening to this right now, perhaps I don't have an LMS solution, a dedicated LMS solution in place. What would I be missing out on? What are the advantages of bringing in an LMS solution if I am working manually at the moment, it's a bit like when we work in paywall years ago and we used to be very manual systems and our systems can take a lot of that work off me. What would be the advantages that you would tell someone who perhaps isn't familiar with working with LMS solutions before?
0: The first thing is it provides a big efficiency. You don't need as many people tracking paper records, tracking through different spreadsheets, trying to move those spreadsheets from one scenario to another scenario where data can get lost. Well. So we, again, we spoke about GDPR before. You need to know where your information assets sit across an organisation. From an LMS perspective, you can host them on one database so you know where those information assets sit. If someone needs to be forgotten, so there's a right to be forgotten, you, yep. you can delete that data. If that data needs to be exported, you can export that data. You can have the consent policies on, on board. When the data sits in drawers, in cabinets, on different file systems, that is gonna be really, really difficult. So there's real efficiencies to getting it onto one system. And then there's the efficiency that everyone goes to one portal to do their learning. They can book their training courses, access their e-learning. You can see that attendance and you can do the reporting off the back of it as well. It takes a much smaller team centred around an LMS and it would from the very old-fashioned stereotypical training teams that had cabinets of papered files and Excel spreadsheets, et cetera.
1: So from an HR perspective as well, I'm just thinking out loud, but if you can pull all of your reporting into one place to actually look at trends and and really analyse that data, presumably that's a really powerful tool to have at your disposal if you want to influence change at board level. Yeah, one of the key
0: features from an LMS perspective is that users have different levels of permission and hierarchy. So you might be a departmental manager, so you can see through your department, for example, who's completed what training course and when they completed it, and whether they need to refresh it at some point. But right down at the individual level, they could see a what we call a RAG report, red, amber, green. So if they need to do something or they've forgotten to do something, it would show up red. If they're due to do something, for example, in the next three months, it could be amber. But if they're in date, it would show green. So they're given a visual indication of what they need to do and when they need to do something. That level of reporting can cascade up through the management layers right to the top level where you can have organisational level reports to look at the overall compliance within the organisation.
1: Great. And presumably, in fact, you mentioned GDPR moments ago and some of the options that you offer a user can have access to, if you like, which is GDPR compliant. I know that you've also recently gone through cyber certification, ISO 27001. So... I guess in using an LMS solution through a company like ThinkLearn, that you can actually offset or mitigate some of your compliance risks as well.
0: Exactly. I mean, it's a big undertaking. Looking at cyber security in general and GDPR, something we realised a while back was to first put the information security protocols in place, and then make sure that our devices were secure. Because if you lose a device, it could be a smartphone or a laptop, there's an access into your systems through that device. So. Getting cyber essentials is really key, making sure that all of our devices are secure. And then you look at how to protect that information within the systems and how to give individuals their rights to their data within the system. So it's been a real learning curve over the last two or three years. It's not something we've just started to do. We've been on this really for about three years now and and maturing towards GDPR without even knowing it initially.
1: Excellent. Well, you're clearly very passionate, Sean, about being able to deliver bespoke learning and performance solutions. And I know that from knowing you anyway, we've had conversations outside of this podcast about things that we can do within our own business and other businesses that can really improve the way that we deliver learning throughout an organisation. You're also passionate about the way organisations manage and develop their staff. Can you tell me a little bit more about why and how these solutions can benefit an organisation?
0: If I go back to my army days, I always liked to go on training courses. I really did. I qualified in so many different things. I've got a whole list of certifications that I've done over the years. Sometimes really not used. And I think a great way to engage the staff within your organisation is to at least give them the opportunity to train. You know, have regular one-to-ones, give them development plans, think about their career progression in their home and work life, and try and facilitate as much as that as you can. And I think LMS are great for that because the whole process of personal development and professional development can be captured. You can have a personal development plan, you can think about what you want to do with your career, etc. And you can have that recorded on a system. You end up with your own little portal where you have all of that in place and you can export that and move that around as well.
1: I think that's a really good answer. And I actually have to say recruitment is really relevant as well. And one of the things we say to clients a lot is people aren't moving anymore just for reasons of pay. HR departments now analysing retention as opposed to what they spend at the front of a recruitment process based on agency terms that it might be. They're actually analysing what it costs them in terms of retention. And one of the things that we've seen in the market is if candidates or new employees are engaged early, if they've got a career development plan, if they become much more intrinsically linked to the job and the culture of the company, whereas pay doesn't do that. If any business is offering a solution where You can actually learn and see your career development plan in black and white in front of you. You can see the milestones ahead of you and you know that you're on a path to progression. That's a lot, lot more powerful now than just increasing your salary or just offering a higher market rate. Because if you're just offering money, that individual is not going to be truly bought into the culture and values of your brand. I think that comes a deeper level and that comes from things like learning, like qualifications and like development. I think Businesses are getting much more in tune with this now. We work with a number of clients that offer various different benefits and one of those is definitely learning. As clients pick up on this, and I'm sure you're seeing this in your market at the moment, but HR departments in particular are realising that it's important, or it's important rather. We're seeing a lot more LMS platforms being implemented for that very purpose. So I think that's a really, really good answer. So we're going to open the vault.
0: Entering the vault.
1: Sure. Sean. One piece of advice you would give to someone working in HR right
0: now? I'll be slightly biased in that no matter what type of HR professional you are, is to think about how technology touches your world. You know, you could work in recruitment, you could work in payroll, you can work in learning development, be an HR advisor. I think systems need to be part of the world. I'm not sure that the CIPD really capture that on their development framework these days. Maybe they will in the future. But I think systems are very central to what we do particularly with millennials coming through who use technology for everything, particularly around smartphones and tablets. So, yeah, make sure that you know where technology
1: touches your, your working environment. Because it moves so fast, it's growing. With the benefits of hindsight, what would be the one career decision you would change? I
0: probably would have stayed in the army. I, I left at age 32 as a staff sergeant. It would have been interesting to have seen where my career would have gone if I'd stayed in. As I mentioned earlier, you know, I was a year or two away from becoming a sergeant major and that would have led me to ultimately getting commissioned and, you know, even being in the forces now. I could have stayed in until I was around 55 years old. I think they've extended that recently to 60, so I could have still been a soldier, which would have been really interesting how
1: my life would have changed if I'd carried on from the age of 32. So that's more of a sliding doors answer, that's something you'd definitely change, or something more interested to see how it would have worked out. Exactly, yeah. Okay, cool. If you had the power of foresight and could change the entire payroll or HR industry with one action or improvement, what would that action or improvement be? I think I'd like to see
0: learning development in general more central within the HR agenda, either whether you're looking at it from the CIPD perspective or HR in general perspective, oh, it would be great to see learning development more mainstream.
1: Okay, excellent
0: answer. Who motivates you and why? Well, I'm not gonna talk about work now, I'm gonna talk about obstacle course racing again, because it's a passion of mine. There's a guy called Tony Leary, hopefully be listening to this, who has just turned 50. Although I am 54 this year, so I've got some excuses but he's just coming to my age group to try and take my 50 plus title away. So he's very much motivating me at the moment.
1: I love that answer. I actually know Tony very well. I trained with Tony for the last three years in St Albans before I moved to Devon. Um, so I'm, I'm good friends with Tony and I know that he'll be busting a gut to win that division this year. So it should, should see for a, an interesting battle between the two of you. Fantastic. For those outside of the ACR community, apologies, but I guess it's uh, being motivated by someone that you know to achieve that so you can achieve more and keep you motivated. I think it's good. If you didn't work in HR, what would you be doing? I'm going to stick on the same theme. I qualified recently as
0: a running fitness coach. So I'd quite like to just work in the fitness industry. I might do that in semi-retirement at some point.
1: That ties in quite nicely with your answer earlier, Sean, where you said that you've got a number of certifications and qualifications to your belt an MBA and various other bits and pieces. And I think if you are going to be a CEO of a learning business, it's great to have that individual be as passionate about self-development as it is developing others. So that's a really good answer. For those listening, if you want to find out more about Think Learning, I recommend you do visit their website. And it can be found at think learning.com. There's a wealth of information you can find on the website, including a number of client success stories, well worth a read. And there's also a blog as well, which gives you a lot of information about the market as they see it at the moment with an LMS. So do take a look at the website. I'll read it again it's think learning.com. In the meantime, we'd just like to say a huge thank you to Sean World for joining me today to talk to us about LMS, talk to us about Think Learning. Hope you've all found it useful. I hope you all see the benefit of adding an LMS platform or solution to your business. As I said before, from a recruitment perspective. It's huge for us. People are now looking for something more than just money. They are looking for a genuine career development plan and pathway for the future. And there are many companies out there that offer these solutions, think learning being just one, but I definitely recommend you have a look at their website and take some of this advice on board. So thanks ever so much, Sean. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast and I'll see you all again next week.
0: Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Payroll Podcast with Nick Day of JGA Recruitment, Specialist Payroll Recruiters. If you would like to feature on a future podcast, please contact us. For a wealth of world-class payroll content, please visit us at jgarecruitment.com. See you next week.